Hello and welcome back to the Life Vineyard Church podcast. In this episode, Joe starts a new morning series called Inside Out. This is looking at how we can be transformed by a relationship with God. And today, you know, as David said, we're going to start this new series and it's really exciting to be able to um, introduce this to you. Um, Now, before Easter... Uh, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, which was a letter that Paul wrote to the early church in and around the city of Ephesus. And that letter is one of my favourites. It really teaches us about the mind-blowing, beautiful truths um, of Jesus's victory and of the incomparable riches that we have in him. And it helps us to think about how do we live out those truths in our everyday lives. And in the letter, Paul prays in chapter 1 that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And then he goes on in chapter 3 to pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's the condition of our hearts, of the inner being that we're going to be focusing on in this next series. And um, as has already been said, it's going to be called Inside Out. You know, it's all well and good doing good deeds, isn't it? But unless that is accompanied by a changed and a humble heart whose eyes are fixed on Jesus, it's all in vain. God doesn't care about the works that we do in and of themselves. What he's interested on is what's going on inside our hearts. The works of an overflow of worship and love for him from our innermost being, that's what delights him. But it's an outworking of that right response to him it's not as an attempt to prove that we're doing the right things or to earn his love Jesus himself um, says of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in Matthew chapter 23 he says woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees you hypocrites you clean the outside of the cup and dish but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. He's saying that while they look like they've got it all together and they're doing the right things on the outside, on the inside, they still need a lot of work. And how true is that of us? How often do we fall into that trap? How often do we get tempted with the lies of the enemy that say, well, you just need to put in a little bit more effort for God to really love you? Or you just need to do the right things or say the right things and everyone will believe that you're a good Christian and you don't really have to deal with what's on the inside and what's under the surface. But we can end up doing things which seem right on the surface, that seem good, but unless they're accompanied by that changed heart, as I said, and desires to follow and love Jesus, what are they all for? All that striving can also end up in burning us out, leaving us feeling exhausted, frustrated and resentful. We need to realise that God is not so interested in the destination, the end results. That's his job. He's much more interested in the journey that we're on. 
with him and the deep, lasting changes in our inner being and in our heart. And you know, the good news is that this inner well-being, this strength, this love, is not born from this place of striving, of trying harder. When we abide in Jesus and allow his Holy Spirit to dwell in us, the fruit we bear is his. You know, peace, joy, love, patience, kindness, goodness, and so on. So before we go forward, I'm just going to pray again, um, and then we're going to dig into some scripture. Lord, I thank you that you are interested in our whole beings. Lord, I thank you that you care about what goes on under the surface. Lord, that you um, delight in all that you've made us to be. Lord, that you look um, at our hearts and that you care about the state of our being. And Lord, I pray that today, Holy Spirit, you would take these words that you've given me and that you would speak to each one of us, that you would... um, Yeah, just, Lord, where there are things that we need to deal with, Lord, that you would just um, bring them to the surface in your gentle way. Lord, we thank you that you are not a God that is distant from us, but you are a God that is so close and so cares. And so, Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts to respond this morning, I pray. Amen. So why is it important that we're looking at the state of our hearts? Well... I think as we look at scripture, um, it's a good place to start, isn't it? And and we see a couple of things. Firstly, we see that God is interested in our hearts. So if God's interested in our hearts, then we should be interested in our hearts. And I'd like to take you back to the story of David about a thousand years before Jesus was born. He was a young shepherd boy. And Samuel was a priest who was told by God to go and find and anoint the next king of Israel. So Samuel was led to the house of a man named Jesse, and in turn, Jesse brought out all of his his sons, one at a time, um, and Samuel was seeing whether or not these sons would be the next king of Israel. So the first son came out, and Samuel thought to himself, well, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And in Acts 13, we're told that God described David as a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. In the days of the biblical writers, the heart was understood to be the central aspect of the inner being. It physically sustained life. It was the place of understanding and knowledge. It was the place where emotions were felt and choices were made. And you may be familiar with the Hebrew prayer Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And you know, Jesus told his disciples and taught them that this was the greatest commandment. The most important one, said Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment greater than these. So like I said, you know, we can often do the right thing. We can say the right thing. We look like we're loving God. We can look like we're loving our neighbors. But actually, we can be covering up our true motives or our thoughts on a particular issue or person. And we can often fool those around us into believing this lie as well. You know, we can even persuade ourselves, but we can never persuade God. 
He sees the depth of our hearts. He knows when we're trying to hide ourselves away in shame or fear. But the truth is there's nowhere that we can go that we can hide from God. And we're called so often in the Bible, aren't we, to not live out of a place of fear or worry or anxiety. And David did a really great talk um, last week at Revive on freedom from fear, anxiety and depression and looked at the story of Elijah. And, you know, Elijah had had this amazing victory over the prophets of Baal. Um, God had really shown up and done his thing. And then Jezebel had threatened his life and he was running and he wanted to give up and he went into the wilderness and he just said, God, I've had enough. Just take my life. But instead, God sent an angel to care for him, to look after his basic needs and to strengthen him and prepare him for what was to come. And then God himself came to meet Elijah, not in a big triumphant way, but in a small, still, gentle whisper. So personal and so intimate. And as we read the rest of the story, we know that this really strengthened Elijah and kept him on the journey that God had for him. And the same is true for us. You know, I love how real the Bible is, whether it's the story of Elijah or the laments, um, fears or desperate longings of the Psalms, or even, you know, the, um, the fear of the usually impulsive and outspoken Peter, which led him to deny Jesus. God wants a relationship with us. He wants a friendship with us. He knows our innermost thoughts anyway, so there's no need to wear a mask with him. When we come to prayer, he invites us to bring our whole range of emotions to him. You know, we can um, be angry, we can be disappointed, we can share our confusion, we can cry, we can sit and not know how to express how we feel, um, perhaps our sadness. Or we can be bubbling over with enthusiasm, with joy, with excitement. Now, you may be aware um, that in February, the Holy Spirit was at work in an American university called Asbury. Um, and there was a daily, there's a daily Christian meeting at this university. And this one day in February, after the meeting, people stayed. And they kept worshipping and they kept praying. And they even skipped lessons at the university to spend time with God. There was something that was really stirring in their hearts. There was a gentle, quiet, reverent sense of God's presence and a strong desire to confess and get right with him. This was just some of the cues waiting to go in to the chapel and to to be praying. And during the day and the weeks that followed, the worship and the prayer continued without ceasing. People came from all over. There were somewhere between 50 and 100,000 people that came, and the town usually is about 6,000, so you can imagine um, influx of people that have come just to worship God. And they queued outside for about four to six hours at a time to get in. And there was no hype, there was no production value, there weren't even any um, words on on the screen. There was no direction from the front, this was just simple adoration of Jesus. And according to Time magazine, one professor at the university said, it felt like a long exhale taken by my anxious students, reeling from the pressures of COVID-19 and social media. And then an infilling of calm. The overwhelming reflections from Asbury and the subsequent move of the Spirit, particularly in young people, is that the Holy Spirit is doing a deep inner work in people's lives. Pete Gregg of 24-7 Prayer spent some time over there, and he said that he felt the Holy Spirit was just really ministering peace to people, bringing freedom, delivery, and release, 
for a generation experiencing unprecedented levels of anxiety. And the New York Times reported that one woman shared of how just weeks prior she had attempted to take her own life, but she now experienced a joy of life like never before. In the chapel, she and so many others were experiencing comfort, hope, and love of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, previous moves of the Holy Spirit have looked different. You know, in Toronto, um, which many of us will be familiar with or at least have heard about, um, that was known for its powerful encounters and manifestations of the Spirit. The Hebridean revival, that was known for its holiness. And this time, the Spirit is doing something different again. It's doing a deeper work. He's doing an inner work of restoration and renewal. And people are being changed from the inside out. Rather than testimonies of physical healings, the stories coming out of Asbury and around other colleges and campuses um, are about inner healing. The meeting in Asbury is now finished. Lectures have begun again, but the move of God continues. And the presence of God found in those weeks in February is the same Holy Spirit that is at work in us and who dwells in us. His peace is not restricted to Asbury or even the US or even to a particular generation. It is present in our homes, he's present in our workplaces, our schools, our neighbourhoods. And we've got the sense, as we've been praying, that as we press into this over the next few weeks, the Holy Spirit is going to do a deep inner work in us too. So this series has the goal of really drawing from what we've been seeing the Holy Spirit do in Asbury and to help us all grow in our inner life to become more deeply rooted in Jesus and to let our external lives become shaped by the internal. So the first point then is that God is interested in our hearts, so we should be too. The second point that I want to make is that God doesn't just know our hearts but, and leave us there, but he works on the inside, on our character, on our hearts, on our formation. Paul writes in Philippians 2 that God works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. The prophet Jeremiah concluded the heart was fundamentally broken. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? But there is hope. What was needed was the total renewal of the human heart. David cries out in Psalm 51, Create in me a pure heart, O Lord, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Speaking through Ezekiel to his people, God said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. It's only through the work of the Holy Spirit that will ever change us to truly, sorry, will ever lead us to truly change our hearts. When I became a Christian, um, I had a really tangible experience of God swapping my heart of stone, which was very aggressive, angry, hardened at the time, to a soft, beating heart of flesh. You know, one where I, my instinct was to swear in pretty much every sentence, that suddenly stopped. My attitude towards my parents softened, and I'd become compassionate and loving to those who were often rejected and marginalised. In Romans chapter 5, Paul writes, And we boast in the hope and of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope 
And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You know, even and especially in the challenges of life, God is at work. Even in the hidden inner places where we don't often and always see the fruit straight away, God is at work. It's through those moments of trial and suffering and difficulty that the Holy Spirit strengthens us and shapes our character and gives us hope. So God is interested in our hearts and he helps to form us from the inside out. And then my third point is that this inner work leads to fruit of the Spirit that brings us life. Our hearts produce fruit, you know, good or bad, in our lives. And so for the sake of the kingdom... And so that our lives glorify and reflect Jesus, we need to protect what we allow to take root in our hearts and to grow there. What we allow our hearts and our minds to dwell on and give attention to. Luke tells us that Jesus taught that a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For what the mouth speaks of, the heart is full of. Sorry, what the mouth speaks, what the heart is full of. It's important that we're aware of the inner work of the Holy Spirit and what he's doing in our hearts and in our characters. As our hearts, not just our heads, are filled with the things of God, there will be an overflow into the external as well. In Galatians 5, Paul tells us that the work of the Spirit in us produces fruits of love, joy, forbearance, that's the kind of patience with bearing with other people, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, I found that when I ask God um, which of these, you know, he wants to work on or is working on in my life, there's usually one or two that aspects of my character that he wants to develop in me at any one time. For a number of years, it was forbearance, about being patient um, with other people. At the moment, I feel like it's a sense of joy. At other times, it's been humility and just make, kind of humbling my heart before him. Whatever it might be for you, it's important to know that this is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not for you to muster up or to try and produce or to, to work harder on. And there is, you know, there is a joint work often that's involved in this as he shapes us and forms us. But ultimately, that fruit is created by God. It's a result of his work in our lives, if we'll let him. And then finally, God's inner work leads us to becoming living examples of the character of Jesus to others. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil between them and God is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with veiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As we allow our hearts and character to be shaped and formed by the Holy Spirit, we will mature and become more and more like Jesus. Our thoughts, our desires, our actions, our motivations, our words will all reflect Christ more. And we will reflect him then to those around us. Perhaps it might be that work colleagues will notice that we stop gossiping and have more integrity in our relationships. Maybe a friend notices how we've now got a sense of peace where before there was overwhelm. 
perhaps we'll be less hurried and have more time to stop and chat with a lonely neighbour over the front yard. Or maybe instead of responding to moments of potential frustration with our husband, wife, children, parents with irritation, we'll respond with increased measures of grace. And through these changes, perhaps they'll start to ask some questions. Perhaps they'll wonder what's led to that change. Maybe conversations of faith will open up and you can point them to Jesus or even invite them to church. So we see from scripture that God is interested in our whole hearts, in our inner being. He doesn't just see and know the state of our hearts though. He cares enough to shape them and transform them. But we also have a role to play in guarding and protecting our hearts in order to produce healthy fruit and fulfilled lives, becoming living examples of the character of Jesus to those around us. So throughout this series, we're going to, we feel that God wants to do a deep work in our hearts. And we want to do that gently, and we hope we'll do that sensitively. And the intention is not to make any of us feel guilty, but rather to strengthen us, to free us and to heal us so that our relationship with God our Father and our Creator deepens and that he is glorified all the more through us. As God works on the inside, that inner work will lead to external changes in our actions, in our attitudes, in our mindsets. Our inner life strengthens our external life through deep roots and assurance in Christ. So are you open to letting the Holy Spirit in through this series? Are you willing to allow him access to all areas of your heart during this time? For those of us who have given our lives over to Jesus, who are God's children, he wants us to live our lives in that abundant fullness of his love and his grace. He doesn't bring these things to the surface to make us feel guilty. That's the lie of the enemy but to highlight areas that he's wanting to address in us. And as I was preparing this, I felt perhaps there are some of, some of us here who are scared at that thought. That there are areas of our lives that for various reasons, we've not quite been ready to go there yet with God. But you know, our God is a gentle God. He loves us and he cares for us. And he knows it all already. And I feel that if that's you then God just wants to reassure you that he's not wanting to deal with everything all at once on these coming Sundays. But rather, he's asking you to be open to the things that he feels you're ready for, the things that he wants to bring healing and restoration to at this moment in time.